Advent is so important. We get so wrapped up literally in Christmas wrapping paper and buying gifts and all those things, but it's about so much more. So I hope this morning by the end of our time together that you have learned not only some things from Star Wars, but that the Christmas story is not this beautiful, beautiful picture of a silent night. We hope to end with that on Christmas Eve or Christmas Eve Eve as we worship together. But, you know, really it was anything but. It started out, you know, with a 14-year-old unwed mother, a fiancé who considered stoning her because that, you know, was what tradition was or that's what he should have done and he was just going to walk away quietly until God came to him through an angel in a dream. Then they set out for this other land and so basically, not just once but twice, the parents of the Christ child were refugees In today's world, we don't like to talk about that, do we? We are going to talk about it a little this morning because, you see, it's reality. We want this story to be so beautiful and so peaceful and we can, you know, sing the beautiful carols. But but actually, there's so much more to the Christmas story than just the beautiful picture of a silent night. Jesus was born in a cave. They had nowhere to go. And then as soon as he was born, the scripture lesson that we're going to read this morning is about how they had to flee for their lives. Historical refugees. I want to show you a quote from George Lucas this morning as we kick this off. Star Wars is a billion-dollar industry. The movies alone have garnered over $2.62 billion, and the whole franchise is like 40-some billion. George Lucas said, I wanted a concept of religion based on the premise that there is a God and there is good and evil. I began to distill the essence of all religions into what I thought was a basic idea common to all religions and common to primitive thinking. I've wondered, is that why they're so popular? I mean, these movies were popular not just five and ten years ago, but back in the dark ages when I was a child. I remember going to see Darth Vader in The Empire Strikes Back, didn't understand a bit of the movie, and I will confess to you, after watching five of the six this week, multiple times sometimes, I finally get it. It's fascinating. I would never have told you that I was a fan of Star Wars, but I am because you see the the premise behind it and what Lucas was trying to do is so beautiful. It is a premise that is true to all religions, all religions, all world religions, not just modern day Christianity. You see, there's something that unites us all together, and I think that's beautiful. Maybe that's why Star Wars is so popular. I'm not really sure, but the principle behind it is true. There are, there are two opposing forces in this world. There's good, and there's evil. There's light, and there's darkness, 
the Force. I did not know in Star Wars that the Force could go either way. I always thought the Force was this good thing, and then, you know, there was this evil over there. But actually, the Force is like this universal thing that exists, and you can tap into the positive part of the Force, or, or you can tap into the negative. I want you to take a look at this clip and see what it tells us about the power of the Force. What have I done? You're fulfilling your destiny, Anakin. Become my apprentice. Learn to use the dark side of the Force. I will do whatever you ask. Good. Just help me save Padme's life. I can't live without her. To cheat death is a power only one has achieved. But if we work together, I know we can discover I pledge myself to your teachings. The force is strong with you. A powerful Sith you will become. Henceforth, you shall be known as Darth Vader. Thank you, my master. So there you meet Anakin. He is one of the main characters in... Episode number one, he starts out as a little boy and he and his mom are very close, but they are slaves and they are poor. He has this just phenomenal skill of flying one of their saucers or planes or whatever you want to call it. I'm telling you, my Star Wars vernacular is very limited, so forgive me, but whatever those fancy things were that they flew, he was little and he won the race. And so the people who are around him, they start noticing that, you know, there's this this power within him. Now, Yoda and the other Jedi, they feel that there, it could go either way, that there's this powerful force, the good in him, but, but that there's this dark side. Well, see, that's where we come to where we are today. We all have both in us. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to think about it, but it's true. It's historically true. It's scripturally and historically true, and it's also fictionally true. All throughout this movie series, it's the dark versus the light, the good versus bad, and and not just two sides, but we see the people go through their own struggles. 
So this morning, I want us to walk away with an awareness, each of us walking away with our own awareness that in us, in each of us, there's a struggle every day. Darkness versus light. And every day we have choices that we make. Which side do we let win? So I want us to explore internally this morning, what are some of our dark sides? Because you see, there are certain things that we do and feelings that we feel that that cause us to start erring more in the darkness than in the light. So I hope that we walk away today with more of an awareness so that this next week we can, we can live a little differently. That's always the point of Sunday, that we come together and we, we worship or we worship online and that there's some principle or some idea that we can grasp onto and then leave, leave just a little different. So now I want you to take a look at a quote about the dark side. The strength of the dark side lies with the power of the individual. The force comes from within. You must learn to draw on it yourself. I will not always be there to teach you. Those words sound familiar. I know it's Advent, and so we are preparing for the birth of the Christ child, but we do have this joyful opportunity of knowing the rest of the story. So fast forward you know, 30, 30 plus years. And Jesus, right before he was getting ready to leave, he knew he, knew he had upset the religious th- authorities, the good versus the bad. The bad was getting ready to win, or so they thought, so they were going to take control over him and, and rid him of his physical existence, his physical life. And so he knew, so he was gathered with the disciples, and he said, look, you know, I'm not going to be able to be with you always, but I'm going to leave something with you. It's called the advocate, the comforter, The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will remain with you always. So the beauty of the birth narrative and the birth story is that we can see the whole picture. I want you to think for just a minute about the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four books in the New Testament that give us a very clear picture of Jesus' life. Now, there's four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Do you know that they each tell the life of Jesus very differently? And do you know that not all four contain the birth narrative? The traditional story that we normally see and talk about at Christmas, that's from Luke. He was a historian, and so if you read the beginning of Luke, which I encourage us to do, he talks about how he is trying to give an orderly account of the life of Jesus to someone named Theophilus. So he gives this like historical account, so he's very detailed. That's where you read about the shepherds and Mary and Joseph and all those details. If you look in Matthew, which is what we're going to read from in just a minute, it starts with the genealogy, the begat, 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 and most of the time we don't make it past, you know, three or four verses of the begats and our eyes have glazed over and perhaps we've fallen asleep. But it was important to Matthew because he was trying to prove the lineage of Jesus, tracing him back to David, which was important. Now then you look at Mark. Mark does not tell the birth story 
at all. There's nothing. It starts with John the Baptist coming to prepare the way. And after you read about John the Baptist, then it's the baptism of Jesus. And then you read John. And John is is so beautiful. It gives us a picture of what I think ties all this together, the force and Star Wars and Christmas. His birth narrative starts like this. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God from the beginning. Do you know what the word was? The word was Jesus. So in the beginning was Jesus. Jesus was a part of God, just like we are a part of God. In the beginning was Jesus. He was a part of God. He existed from the very beginning, and then he became flesh. And he came and he dwelt among us so that we could understand. And then, now trace back to that part where I told you that Jesus said, you know, I'm, I'm going to leave you, but I'm not going to leave you alone. It, it brings us that third part of the Trinity the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We can draw an example of the Trinity back to the Star Wars movie and think about the Holy Spirit as being a part of the Force. So the quote from the movie about the dark force, it lies within each of us, that is true. It's up to us what we do with it. So now I want you to take another look at the film. Premonitions? Premonitions? Hmm. These visions you have. They're of pain, suffering, death. Yourself you speak of, or someone you know? Someone. Close to you? Yes. Careful you must be when sensing the future, Anakin. The fear of loss is a path to the dark side. I won't let these visions come true, Master Yoda. Death is a natural part of life. Rejoice for those around you who transform into the Force. Mourn them do not. Miss them do not. Attachment leads to jealousy. The shadow of greed, that is. What must I do, Master Yoda? Train yourself to let go of everything you fear to lose. So that's Yoda, the Master Jedi, and before Anakin gave in to the Dark Force, he's trying to to coach him and teach him how to not give in. And he gives us this picture of what lies in each of us that causes us to, to move away from the good and the light and the happiness and the joy that comes with the good part of the force and, and go to the dark side. And it's fear. And fear is often traced to insecurity, but ultimately the sense of loss. So this morning, as I get ready to read to you about a person in Scripture, a historical person, a king, King Herod, 
I'm going to read to you a passage that is dark. It's what makes this not so silent of a night when Jesus was born. But as I read it, I want you to start thinking about what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Because you see, that's, that's when we fall prey to that darkness. Are we afraid we're going to lose our reputation? Are we afraid that people are going to think less of us? Are we afraid that we're not going to have enough? What are we afraid of? Because our fears end up driving us. Oftentimes driving us all the way to the dark side. I want you to hear about King Herod this morning. This is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where's the one who has been born, King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, this is the important part. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Why? Because you see, Herod wanted to be the man. He was king, and even though it took him three years to actually finally conquer the throne that had been given to him by the Roman emperor and Roman government, even though it took him three years to finally come into the throne and he had power, it was not enough. He was worried and he was afraid that somebody was always going to usurp his authority and and overtake him and unseat him. And, And Herod thought he was the messianic king. He wanted to fulfill that prophecy of of the Old Testament as we know it. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. So he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, and he asked them where Christ was to be born. And they answered, in Bethlehem. So then Herod called the Magi in secretly. I like to call those secret meetings parking lot meetings. You have a meeting after the meeting. That's sort of what Herod did. He called all the important people together and, you know, had this big important meeting and asked, you know, so, so where? And they gave him the answer. And then he had a secret meeting, a meeting after the meeting with the Magi. And he found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. So he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Now go, make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. Now we hear what Herod's intentions are, right? They're good, they're the the light, the good side of the force. He says he wants to go worship Jesus. But keep in mind, Herod wanted to be the messianic king. And so the prophecies are being foretold. A, A baby's been born in Bethlehem. So after the Magi heard that heard the king, they went on their way. The star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts. 
And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. So he got up and he took the child to his mother during the night and they left for Egypt. Joseph and Mary were refugees. They stayed until the death of Herod in a foreign land. And so the prophecy was fulfilled. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. So here's this guy who says he wants to go worship the king and he ends up having all the boy babies, and they estimate it was between 35 and 50 males under the age of two killed. Now, this is not a pretty picture, but I need us to go there in our minds because, you see, we all have a little bit of Herod in us. We do. We all have some fear, We all have some insecurity. And those were the things that were driving him. Herod actually does show compassion in other times of his life. I want to show you an example of one of them. This is the temple in Jerusalem. This is a historic representation that you can find in the the museum in Israel. This is a depiction of what the temple looked like and leave the picture up for just a second. If you look right here, here are the temple gates and if you've read Revelation, you'll know that there's a prophecy about all the different temple gates and I'll encourage us to know that Revelation means a lot different than what we think in the Left Behind series. But You find these temple gates and and this beautiful, beautiful temple. You see the gold and, and this ornate structure. And this was, if you look in the middle, back behind that, that's where the Holy of Holies was. That's where the people thought God was. This is where they went to worship God. The Ark of the Tabernacle that the slaves from Egypt and Moses, they built so that they could worship God. That's where it was kept. And so Herod was not all bad. He builds this beautiful temple, but at each of those gates that I showed you, he would put an eagle. It was the symbol of the Roman government. He wanted them to remember, you know, who's in charge. He wanted them to remember that a lot, actually. He is most known for as a historic king of all the buildings and palaces that he would have erected. He even built a man-made mountain. 
and then built a palace on top of it. It was in the desert. And then he built a swimming pool in the middle of the desert that was three Olympic swimming pools big. That's how big his pool was in the middle of the desert to show them who he was. He was the king. One of the interesting things about Herod is all of his landmarks are on the top of mountains. And so if one was here, one was here, and they were almost like in a triangle so that you would always be able to look over all of the promised land from Bethlehem to Jerusalem to the temple. He could always keep an eye on everything. Do we ever want to keep an eye on everything? Do we ever want to control things? Do we ever want to make sure we know what all's going on? You know, you hear some gossip over in the corner and, oh, they're talking about somebody bad. Hmm, let me hear. You see, we all have a little bit of Herod inside of each of us. I do. You do. We do. We all have the good part of the force and the bad. I want to show you one final clip this morning. I don't know you anymore. Anakin, you're breaking my heart. You're going down a path I can't follow. Because of all, Bjorn. Because of what you've done. What you plan to do. Stop now, come back. I love you. Liar! No! You're with him! You brought him here to kill me! No! Let her go, Anakin! Anakin! Let her go! You turned her against me! You have done that yourself! You will not take her from me! Your anger and your lust for power have already done that. You have allowed this Dark Lord to twist your mind until now... until now you have become the very thing you swore to destroy. Don't lecture me, Obi-Wan. I see through the lies of the Jedi. I do not fear the dark side as you do. I have brought peace, freedom, justice, and security to my new empire. Your new empire? Don't make me kill you. Anakin, my allegiance is to the Republic, to democracy! If you're not with me, then you're my enemy. Only a Sith deals in absolutes. I will do what I must. You will try. Anakin, 
I have failed you. I should have known the Jedi were plotting to take over. Anakin, Chancellor Palpatine is evil. From my point of view, the Jedi are evil. Well, then you are lost. One of the things Jesus said to the disciples before he was crucified was, you will be able to do far more things, far more powerful things than I have done by the power that lives in each of you. Jesus said that. We have the power of the force, the Holy Spirit that lives in each of us. A quote that you just heard. You know, only Siths deal in absolutes, black and white. I would encourage us this morning that as Christians or followers of the way of Christ to maybe think that Christians, we don't deal in absolutes. I would challenge us actually to begin to look at the world as rarely, if ever, only black and white. And the other thing that I would challenge us, myself included, is to always look at things from the eyes of those who we are impacting. Those were the eyes of Christ, and that's how he viewed humanity. I want to show you three pictures of three modern-day people. The first one is Chuck Colson. He was arrested for... Some financial things with Nixon and Watergate, and that's about all I got for you this morning. That's all I can remember right now. Uh, I don't know if he embezzled. I really don't know what he did, but he went to prison. And there, after he was released, he started what is now a renowned prison ministry because he didn't want to forget the people that he had been surrounded with. And his prison ministry has offered the message of hope of Christ to tens and hundreds of thousands. The next picture that I want to show you is Georgia Durante. She was a famous mafia getaway car driver. She has an autobiography, and it is fascinating to read of her life. At at several points in her life, she was a victim of domestic abuse, and 
She saw the terror of the mafia when she watched her husband and two other gentlemen beat another man almost to death or death. She says she didn't know if that man lived or not. And she realized then that she was engulfed in a darkness that she did not want to be a part of. And so ultimately... She got out of that mafia line of work and ended up creating for herself a stunt driving business. And now she is one of the most famous stunt drivers in Hollywood and has driven in more than a hundred scenes in movies. She took the darkness that was in her and turned it to light. And then the last one that I would show you. Do you know him? Frank Abnagale, he was the, and I know I didn't say his last name right, but he was the one who the movie Catch Me If You Can was about Spielberg's movie with Leonardo DiCaprio. He wrote tens of thousands of fake checks. He embezzled lots and lots of money. And then, I I just think this is fascinating, the government hired him and... Now he works for the government in trying to crack security codes for businesses and teaching them how to protect themselves. So he used his, his mind that was bent a little towards some darkness for good. And he has protected over, I want to say, 1,500 a, a companies from being hacked from outsiders. These three people had darkness inside of themselves and they used it for light. One of the things Luke Skywalker was most, not, yeah, Luke Skywalker was most afraid of was this. I don't know if you can understand what that picture is, but it's a picture of his face in Darth Vader's helmet. Yoda kept encouraging him to confront his fear. Luke was afraid of what was on the inside of himself. He was afraid of the darkness that lived in himself and that he would give in to that darkness. Now I want this morning to show you one final picture. I would not be doing a good job as your pastor if I did not show you this. Do you know what this is? It's the Syrian refugees. This is the worst humanitarian crisis that has existed in the world in our time. They are in the middle of a civil war. And I see quotes in the media and hear things said like, we should not let them in other countries because, you know, they're Muslim and they might be ISIS. Well, that would be about as insane as people not letting white people into a place of establishment because of the Ku Klux Klan. Were all white people part of the Klan? Absolutely not. Do you think all Muslims are a part of ISIS? No, they're not. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of people that are starving. And just like Mary, the mother of Jesus, would have clung to her son when they were fleeing to go to Egypt to escape someone that had given their life to the dark force. These folks are clinging to their children today. And I don't know what we can do about it, but the first thing we can do about it is pray because, folks, it is our responsibility as followers of the way, the one who was a refugee, who was in exile. We don't get to turn away. 
Turning away is giving into the dark force. So this morning, what if throughout the whole season of Advent, we choose to look for good and we choose to look for hope and we choose to look for possibilities? Because that is the way. Let us pray. Almighty God, will you use whatever resources that we have to be beacons of light and hope in a world that is hurting? The Syrian refugee crisis is something that seems so foreign to us because it's far away. But God, how we treat people that are different than us, different races, different ethnicities, different religions, uh, that shows how we live out darkness versus light. God, let us be beacons of light in our world today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The line in that song, Jesus, you've come so that we may be set free. So this morning on the first Sunday of Advent, what do you need to be set free from? What fear, what insecurity? Because those are nothing but things of the darkness. So may we go and may we all be set free so that then we may go set others free. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.